This is episode 39 of the Angry Tech News Podcast for Wednesday, August 24th, 2022. This From the Not Your Smart Home Department, let's go ahead and start with the big tech privacy story of, well, of two weeks ago, but still a big story that I also ranted about on Grumpy Old Ben's Wine 86, but I didn't have all this information. Apple, Wise, Arlo, and Anchor, who all make smart home products, Anchor's product is Eufy, say that they will not give up smart home data without a court order. The reason they say this is because Google and Amazon will give it up if someone in law enforcement claims that there's an emergency. Both Google and Amazon have clauses in their terms of service that allow them to give up your data to government agencies if, in their sole discretion, they decide that they really want to. Amazon admits to having done this 11 times so far this year. The company won't say which agencies the requests come from. We have nothing to share, says an Amazon spokesman. They will say only that the cases involved kidnapping, self-harm, and attempted murder. I personally am not mollified by this complete lack of explanation considering the top kidnapping scenario by far these days is a custody dispute between divorced parents, and in the days of speeches violence, attempted murder could just be a snowflake taking offense to a meme on Instagram. But I digress. In light of negative press and public criticism that Ring was contributing to police overreach, Ring has made some changes already. They used to freely provide law enforcement with contact information, email and telephone mostly, for Ring users so that the police could ask uh, or, or harass them for video footage. Now, the company is only allowed, uh, has only allowed law enforcement to post notifications to Amazon's Neighbors app. Unless, of course, it is an aforementioned emergency, in which case Amazon hands over the data without asking. Google, who owns the Nest brand of smart home sensors, doesn't mention anything about these emergency requests in their transparency report. In response to public criticism, the company fell back on its standard response, which was to have absolutely no response whatsoever. Programs like this are extremely dangerous. It's well understood that if you give a government agency more power during an emergency, then they will find ways to manufacture emergencies. Or, as Jason Kelly of the EFF points out, there will always be temptation for police to use it in increasingly less urgent situations. Which is why Google and Amazon's competition, Apple, Wise, Arlo, and Yuffi, have vehemently said that they will not do any of this without a court order. In a statement to CNET, a spokesman for Arlo said, If a situation is urgent enough for law enforcement to request a warrantless search of Arlo's property, then this situation should also be urgent enough for law enforcement or a prosecuting attorney to instead request an immediate hearing from a judge for issuance of a warrant to promptly serve on Arlo. And while I certainly appreciate the sentiment, they say Arlo's property, I thought it was the user's. With Ring, there is one way to prevent Amazon from disclosing your data without your knowledge, but you might not like it as it compromises functionality. You can enable end-to-end encryption with the Ring system. End-to-end encryption is off by default, and with good reason. It doesn't work with battery-operated cameras, which these days is most of them. It disables Alexa greeting, quick replies, bird's-eye view, and virtual security guard features. 
You can only view the videos in the app and not the desktop. It only works with a single user. There's no sharing of videos anymore. And there is no timeline or notifications. You just get a raw multi-hour video that you have to manually scrub for events. But if you're serious about privacy, at least the option is there. Google, on the other hand, offers no end-to-end -end encryption and no opt-out of this emergency clause at all, which is hardly surprising when you remember that Google's business model is exploiting your data. From the Purchasing Ears Department, Spotify is bucking the recent Silicon Valley trend of user loss, according to their second quarter financial report, though they are following right along with the Silicon Valley trend of losing money. It's well known that in a down economy, entertainment spending is one of the first discretionary cost items to be booted from the household budget. See also Netflix's current hemorrhaging user count. But not so with Spotify, who posted their Q2 user base is now 433 million, up 11 million in three months. Even more impressive is that over half of those new users signed up for Spotify's paid premium accounts. To get those users, the company put an unprecedented amount of money into its marketing campaigns, focused mainly on direct marketing, trying to upgrade current users to family plans and coax users with deactivated accounts into coming back. Shout out to all those naive people who thought that they were deleting their accounts. Thanks in part to that marketing push and the general decline of ad revenues across the industry, the company posted a quarterly loss of nearly 200 million euros. According to the Engadget analysis that I read, the company is banking on that loss to turn around sharply on the power of their 2.5% subscriber growth, their recently announced podcasting push, a bounce back in the ad market, and by stiffing music artists on royalties even harder than they already have been. From the Couch Potatoes Wholesale Department, continuing in the subscription vein, Disney Plus reported last week that their subscriber count grew by 14 million last quarter to a total of 152 million, beating expectations of only a 10 million increase. In order to combat this worrying trend, the company is jacking up the price for its service. Starting in December, the price of a Disney Plus subscription is going up nearly 40%, from $8 a month to $11 a month. If for whatever reason you find it completely unbearable to pay an additional cost of half a Starbucks coffee, a few teaspoons of gasoline, or about 300 TikTok coins each month, then Disney has the deal for you. You can keep your Disney Plus subscription at $8 a month as long as you accept ads into your life. To explain what an excellent deal this is, let me throw some math at you. According to Statista's 2019 numbers, the average American adult spends just over three hours a day watching videos across network and cable TV, streaming services, and social media. More or less depending on age, employment, level of TikTok addition. But to make the math easier, let's go with 100 hours a month. On television, 42 minutes or 70% of each hour is spent on programming. The other 18 minutes is ad, also according to Statista's 2019 numbers. These numbers are a lot harder to come by on streaming services because the companies consider that information to be proprietary and because I can't bring myself to sit through that any ads to measure it. So I'll go with the TV numbers. So that makes about 30 hours of ads each month that the average US adult watches. Disney lets you save $3 a month by watching all of those ads, which comes in at about 10 cents per hour that Disney values your time or less than one one hundredth of minimum wage. But there's something more nefarious than that going on here. With network TV, people can often justify the time spent viewing ads with, oh, I'm just watching to mark time. It's a pretty terrible way to mark your time, but you waste your life however you want. 
But with network TV, the programs are shortened to make room for ads. When a network injects more ads, they cut the program a little bit and your total amount of time in front of the screen doesn't change. But with streaming, the programming doesn't get any shorter. When ads are injected, it just makes it take longer to get through a single show, meaning either your viewing sessions get longer or you can't watch as many programs per session. A pretty nice scam if you're a streaming company paying per show, but not so good if you're trying to binge the latest season and now you have to spend 30% more time on the couch to do it. All of this doesn't even address the level of psychological manipulation that ads inflict on you. Ads exist to alter your behavior against your will. This is literally the entire point of the marketing industry. Marketing that doesn't change your behavior is failing at its entire purpose for existing. So if you don't like being manipulated, you really shouldn't like advertising. Suffice it to say, I don't personally believe that an ad-supported tier of any service is worth it. I value my time at a hell of a lot more than 10 cents per hour. The real question is whether you think access to the service is worth paying for at all. For $11 a month with Disney+, Plus, you can get a large catalog of animated kids' movies. You get the yearly Star Wars flop. And you get the woke Marvel movie of the month. If you think all that is worth paying a monthly fee for, then pay your $11. I don't judge. But just, for the love of God, have some self-respect and don't get the tear with ads. From the Wi-Fi phone home department, researchers at the University of Hamburg conducted an experiment to find out how much data people are broadcasting with their smartphones. Spoiler, it's a lot. The experiment was conducted in November of 2021 in a busy pedestrian zone of a German city. Researchers placed six antennae to capture the Wi-Fi signals that are constantly being broadcast by passerby smartphones. For most smartphones, when the Wi-Fi is on but the phone is not connected to a network, it constantly probes for known networks by broadcasting a Wi-Fi ping containing the list of all SSIDs that it knows to see if one of them will respond. Any hotspot receiving a ping is supposed to check if its SSID is in the list and initiate a connection. But there's really nothing stopping that Wi-Fi hotspot from doing what these researchers did and just copying down the full list of known SSIDs and putting them into a database. A single phone broadcasts this data hundreds of times per hour. In three hours, the German researchers got 58,489 SSIDs. So why is this a problem? Well, most people are completely unaware just how much personal or sensitive data can be included in that list of SSIDs. A great many phones broadcast the default password-laden SSIDs for home routers, including two brands of popular German home routers from Fritzbox and Telecom, which ship with an initial SSID that includes the 16-digit admin password for the router. Some other SSIDs also included people's names, email addresses, phone numbers. You get the idea. Most modern phones randomize the MAC address of the phone while probing in order to resist Wi-Fi fingerprinting. But the set of known SSIDs is an excellent data point, so good that it's often able to uniquely identify a device even without any other fingerprinting indicators. Leaping Computer suggests removing SSIDs from networks that you don't use and disable automatic connections to Wi-Fi networks. I personally go even farther and recommend turning Wi-Fi off entirely when you're not intentionally using it. I'll use my Wi-Fi data when I'm at home and rely on my cell data plan when I'm out. The trick, of course, is remembering to turn it on and off, which is not always that easy. Well, okay, the other trick is also resisting the urge to stream dozens of gigabytes of YouTube videos and Disney Plus ads while you're away from your home. But if you can master that, you might just have a shot at privacy.
Finishing us off today is some headlines. The United States FCC has rejected an application from Elon Musk's Starlink for $885 million in public funds that had been earmarked as part of the Rural Digital Opportunity Fund. The fund is intended to subsidize the rollout of Internet service to places where private companies cannot serve or refuse to do so. The agency rejected the application for nearly a billion dollars on the grounds that Starlink has not sufficiently demonstrated that it can provide the promised service. Starlink's technology has real promise, but the question before us was whether to publicly subsidize its still-developing technology for consumer broadband, which requires that users purchase a $600 dish, with nearly $900 million in universal service funds until 2032, according to the FCC press release. Google Fiber is finally coming to new markets, the first expansion in six years. The service, if you recall, brought gigabit fiber to nine markets between 2012 and 2016. Kansas City, Austin, Provo, Salt Lake City, Atlanta, Charlotte, Raleigh-Durham, Nashville, and San Antonio. The service was deprioritized during Google's 2015 restructure into Alphabet, and many thought that it was done and over. However, the company recently began building out the service in Des Moines. They've announced further expansion into Arizona, Colorado, Nebraska, Nevada, and Idaho. And the blog post urges readers to stay tuned in coming months for more details and announcement as they bring faster speeds and redefined customer service. The faster speed part, I like. I'm kind of excited about that. But Google, the company, isn't exactly known for their stellar customer service. So if redefining customer service is what they're bringing, I think I'll stick with the old definition. Thanks. The VLC media player has been banned in the country of India since February, and nobody seems to know why. VLC is an open-source media player which runs on nearly all platforms and boasts of the ability to play nearly all media formats. The official VLC website, videoland.org, as well as the official download links, are unavailable on most ISPs in India now. Trying to click on them reveals the message, This website is blocked as per the Ministry of Electronics and Information Technology Act 2000. The ban took effect back in February, but Videoland, the software's developers, only found out about it recently. Rumors abound as to why the software was banned. Some say it's because VLC was a victim to a supply chain attack by Chinese state actors. Some say it's because VLC can be used to play pirated media files. And that much is true, it plays all media files, theoretically. An official query to the Indian government ministry in question received a curt one-line reply. No information is available. And finally, a small art installation company named Meta is suing Facebook, which announced their name change to Meta in October of 2021 over the use of their trademark. Meta, the company, which operates the website Meta.is, claims that after eight months trying to negotiate with Facebook in good faith for the shared use of the name, they got stonewalled and were left with no other choice than a lawsuit. The complaint argues that Meta can no longer provide goods and services under the Meta mark because customers are likely to mistakenly believe that Meta's goods and services emanate from Facebook and that Meta is associated with the toxicity that is inextricably linked with the Facebook brand. Facebook did not respond to The Verge's request for comment. For those still counting and still listening, it's been four weeks since the last Angry Tech News, and yes, my heart is full of shame because of it. I'm trying out different formats to see how they play, including the headline segment where I give quick news stories without the added opinion. Reading news stories without sarcasm is less satisfying, but it does help me get through the backlog of stories I want to cover, and it helps keep you informed, even if not quite as angry. But I'll keep at it. I'm definitely working on getting back to a regular schedule. 
As long as there are still those who, of you who listen and support the show, I will continue bringing you angry tech news as often as my schedule allows. Thanks go out to regular supporters Brian Janak, Baron Spud the Mighty, Sean McCune, Brandon Kidwell, Rhett Vandenberg, Raymond Zorger, Curtis Peterson, Steve Edwards, Rachel Zimmerman, Christopher Reamer, Sharky, and Don Mills, who made recurring PayPal donations to Angry Tech News, as well as to the numerous people who listen and boost using a podcasting 2.0 compliant app. Angry Tech News is produced on the value for value model. We don't take sponsors, we don't play ads, and we do not charge you to listen, but we are funded by your donations. If you've received some value from listening to this show, please send some value back. Go to angrytechnews.com and click the donate button. Send what you think this episode was worth to you, whether it's $3, $30, or $300. That's it for now. I'm Ryan Bemrose, the Angry Programmer with a mic. I will be back next time with more Angry Tech News. This has been Angry Tech News with the Angry Programmer, Ryan Bemrose at angrytechnews.com. Stay angry, stay angry, stay angry.